0: Hi there, welcome to the show. Tuesday, September the 7th. It is another boiling hot day here in TW11. If I shut my eyes, I could be in California, almost. But there is a, an international feel once again to today's podcast. We'll be talking about racing in Hong Kong, the United States, Japan and South Africa. Uh, British jump racing might even get a mention as well at some point. But it's very hard this week of all weeks not to begin by concentrating on the action. Pretty close to home with Irish Champions Weekend and the St. Ledger Festival just around the corner. St. Ledger meeting at Doncaster begins tomorrow. And most people expect that it will end with a, a glorious coronation of the very smart middle distance horse, Hurricane Lane. The Irish Derby winner, trained by Charlie Appleby, ridden by William Buick in the Godolphin silks. He just wins the St. Ledger, doesn't he? Maddie Plale from the Racing Post is with me today. Is this just a formality for Hurricane Lane en route to a, another great season in 2022, Maddie?
1: I'm really hoping it's not going to be, Nick, because um, I'm sitting on quite a nice wager for Johnny Murta's Ottoman Emperor. Um, I grabbed a bit of 40s about him before he won at Goodwood in the Gordon Stakes. And I think he's now about the sort of 11 to 2 mark. So as much as I recognise this is a rather large task, I'm hoping Ottoman Emperor is up to it. And I think he's a really fascinating horse because he's won four of his total five starts and slowly stepped up each time. He's got quite an interesting pedigree. By acceleration, you wouldn't necessarily say that he would stay the St. Major trip, but he's a very big horse and he races in a way which I think gives us plenty of hope. Um and I guess the form of the Gordon Stakes is pretty good when it comes to every other horse in this race other than Hurricane Lane. But if Godolphin's heavyweight does what he did at Longchamp in the Grand Prix de Paris, then I don't think any of them will have much of a chance, but I'm hopeful.
0: All right, Maddie's given a good shout to, to Johnny Murta winning the St. Ledger. There is a possibility, of course, he could win two St. Ledgers on one weekend with Osman Emperor in Doncaster and Sonny Boy Liston at uh, the Curragh. Johnny's with me now. Uh, Johnny, you're on a roll. A great win in the Ebor. The horses continue to run fantastically well. Is Ottoman Emperor ready enough, hard enough to win on St. Ledger? There's a bit of a question mark over the, the trip,
2: Nick. Uh, he's never been over a mile and six before. That long straight in Doncaster, you know, it tests them. But... He came out with the garden Stakes really well. We're very happy with him. We've freshened him up. We've trained him. He's he's had a nice, clear run. Touch wood. So far, so good. So he's in good shape. Um, and we're very happy with, with, with him going into the race. But there is a little question mark over the six.
0: How well has he done to come quite such a long way in such a short space of time, only making his debut earlier this year?
2: He was a big, backward kind of two-year-old, you know, a little bit lean. But since day one, he's really thriving. He's taken his races really well. He's a bit lazy in his races, so you know we're hoping there's another bit left. Um, and they have. He has. He has improved right through the year. But um, I couldn't be happy with him, Nick. I think the last day in Goodwood it was his first time with big crowds. It was for, first time with a big atmosphere. I think mentally he's grown up nicely from it. He has to improve from that run, but I just I think he's in good shape. He's going down in good shape, and listen, the favorite, the favorite is going to be hard to beat. But we're going to let him take his chance.
0: Uh, Sonny Boy Liston obviously did it really nicely in the Ebor. Is he going to have to improve again much? Do you think to to be a feature in the Irish Ledger?
2: I think it was a very strong Ebor this year. It, it, the Ebor is more like a a, a group race now in a handicap. You know, there's not much between them. He is going to have to improve. But he's came out of Ebor in good shape. He's rated 113 now, so he's a couple of pounds behind um, the favourite. But um, you know, he's he's he, he's in good shape. He's on a roll, and he never let us down so far this year. And it's the second time now he's running over a mile and six. So he's been there. He's over the distance. So we we know he gets the trip now.
0: And what about a, a, a Saint Ledger double for for the Merter team over the weekend? You you must be you must be dreaming a little bit.
2: No, it is, yeah, listen, it is. I said to a guy the other day, sure, if we win the English Ledger on Saturday, Irish Ledger on Sunday, it'll be a good weekend's work. I think he, think he looked at me a bit strange. Nick, you dream about having horses good enough to run in these races. Um, We've two fancy runners and two classics. Uh, brilliant weekend for the yard, but nothing that is surprising about it. The work that we put in behind the scenes, the staff we have, and of course now we're getting these better horses and... It all comes down to that: getting the better horses, producing them on the big days. And but again, I'm I'm under no illusion how much they have to step up and how much they have to improve and how much evidence has to go right on the day. But we're very confident at the moment our horses are going there, uh, in good shape. They're healthy. They're well. And let's see if they're good enough now.
0: So, Maddie Johnny Murta giving you enough confidence about Ottoman Emperor in the casa St Ledger on Saturday, but. He, you, everybody else recognises that Hurricane Lane's existing form stands head and shoulders above the rest. If he does win this race well, and then perhaps even goes on to the arc or runs in some of the very best races next season, is there a possibility he will change the way people think about the race?
1: It's difficult to say, isn't it? Because often we see good editions of races and they just happen to be in isolation. But what I would say is if we look at the last couple of winners of the St. Ledger, we had the 2017 running one by Capri. We had Crystal Ocean, Stradivarius, Rekindling, Coronet, some great horses in there. Hugh Garland's wasn't a bad stayer in 2018. Logician, he had the wow factor in 2019. And then last year, Galileo Chrome retired after winning um, his edition of the St. Ledger. And I think he could have been quite a smart horse as well, although I am biased in that regard as well. But um, it seems that the St. Leger is not the sort of uh, unfashionable classic some people once regarded it as. And I think the fact that this has long been the plan for Hurricane Lane, who, again, on the other side um, to Ottoman Empire, is so stoutly bred. He's down one over two miles. Um, It's fantastic. And if we see him put in a real classy performance... That's going to be one of the highlights of the flat season, potentially. So it's going to be a really interesting race to watch, either way.
0: Let's talk about the Irish Champion Stakes this weekend. It would be very surprising if the winner didn't come from one of Tanawa, Poetic Flair, and St Mark's Basilica. On what you've seen on the race course and what you've heard since, Maddie, where would you be leaning?
1: I would be leaning towards Tanawa. Um, I think if we if we treat them sort of in order of the betting, I think St Mark's Basilica. He's a very difficult horse to assess, I think. Uh, received a Racing Post rating of 128 for his Coral Eclipse one. We haven't seen him since, but I think most people in racing would agree that was a very muddling affair. And although Mischief has, has won impressively in the Judmont International since, I don't think that was necessarily representative of what he can do. And the pace was was stop-start as well. Um, and then if you look back through his wins in the Prix de Jockey Club and the pool de Cire de Poulain. That form is not necessarily rock-solid Group 1 form compared to what Tanawa and Poetic Flair bring to the table against their elders. Um, And with the the doubts about him after the 70-day break he's had, I would be wanting to take him on at the top of the market for all that I think this race and the conditions of this race will suit him. Tanawa, who we spoke about last time I was back on this podcast, that victory at Keeneland last year in the Breeders' Cup turf is something that I can't get out of my head. And even before then, she was looking like she had all the credentials needed for an art. A fast run, hopefully 10 furlongs, will suit her down to the ground. And I can just see her swooping down the outside at Leperstown as we see um, so often in this race. Poetic flair. I wouldn't be entirely confident, as others, that he would get the 10 furlongs. I remember when he was second to stablemate Max Winnie in the Irish 2000 Guineas back in May. And I remember him coming into the final furlong and thinking, he's won this race. And then Max Winnie just sort of outbattled him in the closing stages. He tends to be a very strong traveller. And I'm delighted that Jim Bolger is going to give this race a go because wherever Poetic Flair goes, he adds so much to an event. But I just wonder if he will see out uh, this trip as well as he sees out his races at a mile, given he is quite an enthusiastic horse and given what happened at the Curragh.
0: Maddie, your colleague Chris Cook has has written an extensive piece following up from Richard Forrestal's interview with Gordon Elliott in in the Racing Post yesterday about the, the reaction to Elliot, how it's going to be received that he's coming back with a license. Um, what do you think the, the reaction from the racing public and or the wider public is likely to be?
1: This topic, if we're going to zoom out and tackle it in a wider sense, Nick, is about what initially happened back in February and about how people consume news these days. And I think with such an emotive, and uh, an image such as the one that we saw with with no context and and the way it played out, it's only gonna get one reaction initially. And I think the fact that we're now in an environment where Gordon Elliot is returning, people can no longer go back to that exact same reaction they have. Um, It's interesting if you go onto social media ever the polarization of views there but the response is it's okay we all make mistakes he's an excellent trainer we'll give him another chance can't wait to see him back and also some people who believe that he should never be allowed to train racehorses again now clearly the the most balanced view is somewhere in between um those two reactions do you think there is a distinct difference in how britain and Ireland face these issues and I wait to see how Gordon Elliott will be received say if he had a winner at the the Cheltenham Festival. Our Irish editor Richie Forrestal, he seemed to think that he didn't think there would be much negative reaction, no booing, nothing like that. Um, But I do think we have to bear in mind how Ireland and Britain are situated differently and the relationship they have with these animals is slightly different um, in how that plays into what's going to happen.
0: It's interesting you talk about news cycles, the way people consume information and social media and whether because this story was so hot and so loud for that period of time before Cheltenham, during it and immediately after, whether it almost doesn't have any life left in it because it's almost burned out and people are just thinking right move on let's just go back to where we were whether that will be the case or or whether that's only the case inside the the racing village
1: yeah and we touched upon that when we we spoke about how the immediate reaction was was shock and now people are having to take take a step back from that and look at the the nuances of this and what's happened I think there perhaps is an appetite, but I also think we've just got to wait and see what happens, as boring as that sounds now. There's there's an acceptance that has come with the last six months um, that Gordon Elliott has been thrust into exile, and... We'll find out, I suppose, is my answer, I'm afraid. (laughs) Very, very boring. But we'll find out if that appetite and the support he once had amongst the racing community is still there.
0: The beauty of of this time of the year is that every significant racing nation starts to, to crank up into the autumn. Japan, no exception. We've seen how well the Japanese horses have performed in the TRC Global Rankings when we feature them every week and expect a big charge now up the rankings from some of those established stars. And Nahiro Goda is our our Japanese correspondent here on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast and joins me now. Nahiro, it's all kicking off again this weekend, is it not?
3: Exactly, you are right, Nick. You know, the July and August uh, quiet season of the racing in Japan, all the race meetings are conducted at some, you know, local area, but yes, the racing coming back to Tokyo and Osaka on coming weekend. So, big, exciting, very high racing season will coming back very so, uh, shortly. Very
0: so, soon. so, when are we likely to see the big name horses? We know that Chronogenesis is going to run in the in the Arc de Triomphe, but when are we likely to see the big horses running in the, the biggest races locally?
3: Yeah. So this morning, you know, I spoke to Yasuhiro Matsumoto, farm manager at Tenyei branch of Northern Farm, where Daddy Winna Shafriya. He is now trained at Tenyei branch of the Northern Farm. According to Mr. Matsumoto, farm manager, you know, Shafriya has uh, you know spent a very very good summer vacation, and he is now coming back to food training. The biggest target for Shafriyar, the Daddy Una, is Japan Cup on the end of November. But uh, before Japan Cup, you know, Shafriyal will be prepped at Kobe Shimbun High. This is, you know, a uh, prep race, at uh, Hanshin race course. Anyway, though, Shafriyar is trained very, very well.
0: So sharia is training really well. Sharia by Deep Impact, who has been such a, a huge... Influence on, on Japanese bloodstock. Tell me a little about uh, Contrail, about Gran Alegria. When are we likely to see them?
3: Okay, Contrail, yeah. he spent a summer time at the Dyson branch of North Hills owned by, this is you no know, training facility owned by Koji Maeda of North Hills. Yes, I got a very positive news from Dyson training facility. He spent a good summer and he is now, you know, back to the training. Um, Contrail is back to racetrack for uh, Emperor's Cup Tenno Show Autumn. This is a two thousand meter graded one stakes on October thirty-first at Tokyo Racecourse. So this is, you know, the uh, you know seasonal seasonal start for Contrail. After Tenno Show, yes, he goes to Japan Cup and. Arima Kinen, probably Arima Kinen will be his swan song for Contrail. And Grand Alegria, trained by Kazuo Fujisawa. Yes, she's, you know, she's also trained very well. And she is also trained for Tenno Show Autumn, 2000 meter grade 16 at Tokyo on uh, October 31st. So the Contrail and Grand Alegria, they will meet at Tokyo on October 31st. So this is a race which we
0: cannot miss. Yeah, th- this is going to be the this is going to be the big race in Japan in, in the autumn. Uh, but of course, not the biggest race for the Japanese in the autumn. Dare I say it? Because Chronogenesis will run in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Now, am I right in thinking that she will go straight to the Arc without any kind of prep? Is that right?
3: Exactly, you are right. Uh, Chronogenesis is uh, leaving Japan on September 23rd. Goes to Shanti, where uh, the, he will be uh, stable. That Hiro Shimizu stable. Hiro Shimizu is a Japanese trainer, best Shanti. And yes, Chronogenesis, you know, go straight to the Arc of Triomphe. And uh, Oishi Murphy is booked to ride Chronogenesis in the Arc. And, uh, Nick, we have one more Japanese-trained runner in the Arcturion, who is Deep Bond, representing as, you know, North Hills. Deep Bond is already in Shanti, and Deep Bond is going to run pre-4, one of the prep races for the Arcturion for Shanti next weekend.
0: That is Deep Bond, a four-year-old, as you say, trained by Ryuji Okubu and the second of the Japanese runners to, to go for the Arc de Triomphe. Do you, do you think Deep Bond might have a better chance than Chronogenesis, Nahiro?
3: Well, <laughs> in my opinion, well, Chronogenesis, you know, has a better chance than a Deep Bond. You know, the Chronogenesis, you know, she's, she's, you know, very, very good horse, and she can handle any kind of the track, you know. She can handle a cutting track and a soft track wet track. So, I, I believe, you know, the Chronogenesis can handle, you know, normally the track at Paris Longshan can be soft on the day of the Arcatrion. But uh, I don't think, you know, Chronogenesis mind about softer tracks. So, in my opinion, uh, Chronogenesis has a better chance than Deep Bond. Nick?
0: Well, thanks to Nahiro Goda, who is the oracle when it comes to Japanese racing and lots to look forward to in the autumn. There are other horses around the world that we need to be keeping an eye on very, very closely. If you don't live in the states or you haven't seen Flightline winning at Del Mar the other day, then make sure you you catch a video of it. And Nervous Witness was almost equally impressive in Hong Kong. Maddie, let's start with with Flightline. This horse looks extraterrestrial.
1: He made his debut. Uh, back in April, won by over 13 lengths, had been off uh, for John Sadler with a stone bruise and they they treated that very, very carefully, made his return over the six furlongs at Del Mar and was only marginally outside the track record of 108.05, which you tell me is, is pretty decent and wasn't pushed at all by Flavian Pratt. This horse has so much innate speed Uh, They're talking about potentially going two turns with him next year, but this was an explosive performance. Often you see in racing good performances, you see great performances, but there is definitely something distinctly different about flight line. Although he's not been beating fields of of fantastic calibre, it was just a a claimer and allowance race. The style in which he did it makes him stand apart a great, great deal.
0: Yeah, he can run very, very fast. That we know for sure. Can he stay sound enough and run fast enough against better calibre opposition? That'll be the the next question. But he he looks an absolute monster. A nervous witness I know is another horse that that caught your eye I haven't seen yet.
1: You definitely need to, Nick. Um, It was the season opener at Chartin on Sunday. We had some good performances Uh, from the likes of Naboo Attack as well, Packing Victory, another horse who's probably going to notch up a bit of a sequence in Hong Kong. Uh, Nervous Witness owned by Antonio De Silva, who owned the Hong Kong superstar Silent Witness. Um, And the two have some quite parallels. So first off, Nervous Witness uh, won over Shatin's 1,000 metres on Sunday in 55.7 seconds, which is, again, very easy on the eye, given that Zach Purton didn't even move Uh, on this horse. And Nervous Witness, Silent Witness, they were both actually sold at the same sale, the English Classic Yearling sale in Australia. Nervous Witness sold for $110,000. And they also both won their trials at Victorian Country Tracks, Nervous Witness when he was named Bill's Kick. Um, But obviously with the connection that this horse has with Silent Witness, with, the again, the manner of victory, He's going to be Hong Kong's new talking horse. Of that, I have no doubt. And there are other talking horses as well. So the fact that he goes straight to the top of any list um, shows just how exciting he's going to be for the season coming up.
0: And with the new Hong Kong season underway, we will be hearing from the croc, J.A. McGrath, with his postcard from Hong Kong, which returns tomorrow on the podcast. That's Wednesday. But it is Tuesday, so we go around the Bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their Stallion book and their Global Stallion app. And it is to South Africa we go today, to Fontaine Stud, one of the most important in the South African thoroughbred industry. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Susan Rowett, who jointly runs Fontaine, located near uh, Parle in the Western Cape, about an hour from Cape Town. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Fascinating history to the stud. Just take me back to the early seventies. Was it your your father who who initially set up Vasse Fontaine?
4: Good, mo- yes, good morning, Nick. Yes, that's true. My father, uh, Tony Kalmanson. He uh, was at Oxford in the oh a long time ago, and he was an amateur rider in England. And then he was went back to South Africa and was an amateur rider there. And that's how he over the jumps. And he picked up an interest. And in the early seventies, he had um, some very good. Phillies that won grade one races in South Africa, trained by uh, the maestro Terence Millard. And uh, that is when he um, bought a wine farm and his uh, great friend, uh, Henny Diago, was installed as the first manager and they started ripping out the vines and uh, stopped growing wine and started putting in the uh, breeding racehorses there. Started off very small, probably, you know, only had about 10 mares, um, and since then, we've um, we, we've grown it continuously since the mid '70s.
0: You've grown some some beautiful horses on this land. Where, when you when you take over a vineyard, how can you how can you be sure that you've got the right land for 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 growing thoroughbreds? <sighs>
4: uh this is quite was well, very sandy soil so it has got no nutrients not like in england uh, but we did a um a very good universities and technology then um Bosch, and they came and did a an analysis of the soil and they've balanced we did it, got the feed mixture scientifically done and and so we we actually make our own feed and um that's how that's how we've done it uh, it's very good soil a very sandy soil so it's very good for feet
0: so, how long did it take for the for the stud to make an impact?
4: Well, our very first horse that we sold at a sale actually won one of the best um, two year old races in South Africa. Uh, that was so that was a Grade One winner. But we were very small, and then my father died, all oh, just five years after he bought the farm, and we. My mother kept it going, and then in about 1987, we had a. Real think because about it, and um, my brother and I, my twin brother John, we were intensely keen. Um, on racing, and we said no. We want to give it a go, uh, and and that we uh, we got in our, our new manager Carl de who has been there ever since, ever since 1987. So that's been the real partnership um, between um, John, myself, and and Carl de Foss.
0: And and is that really the secret to your to your success? It's it's it's, it's the strength of the human relationships and the partnerships between you all.
4: I think you're you're absolutely right on that. My you know, my mother absolutely adored Carl and she set about rebuilding all the you know, upgrading the buildings and um, titivating it and you know, that's if you see that website, fast uh you know, it is beautiful but that's taken years to achieve. So it was the relationship with Carl and we had complete and utter trust in Carl to um you know to look after the development of the farm and to breed the best horses possible from it and uh, the other relationships are, are with people who you know who buy from us and then you know th- that comes along and, and they know and trust us um for our integrity i hope <laughs> after all these years and they come back year after year and they know that Carl breeds good sound horses and uh, and we're very um we don't yeah they like buying from us
0: and, and of course, everybody, you know, reveres great human qualities. But we also know that you don't buy off people who aren't going to sell you really good horses. And you've developed such a wonderful reputation for producing them. Uh, horses like Malmoose and Anything Goes, Belgarian, the, the July winner, Eden Rock, a champion two-year-old colt, Iridescence, the great champion three-year-old who beat Ouija board in the QE2, and the list goes on. It, if there's one that gives you particular pleasure, Susan, which would it be?
4: Story for us It's not one that we actually is a dynasty that we've built up. The Malmoose is who's a member of it. Um, we we bought a filly, a mare. Uh, we'd actually missed buying her as a yearling. We bought her and uh, as a mare, she was then the top-priced mare in the country. And we bought her back, and we've built up that whole the dynasty. It's secret pact that was a the mare, then. from her we bred, and we kept promise from my heart who was a champion for us, racing in our colors, and her grade one winning sister, Covenant, and Promise From My Heart, then produced the top-priced cult of his year called Master of My Fate, who was a top-class racehorse with a very truncated career through bad luck, but he showed enough, and, and we brought him back to be a stallion, and that's Master of My Fate, who was became runner-up, to our other stallion, Give Me the Green Light. We finished one, two in the size championship that's just in the season that's just ended. So I would have to say that that inspired move by my brother and Carl to buy Secret Pact was um, really that, you know, made a fantastic dynasty. That's our family, uh, out of which Malmoose has won the Triple Crown this year and has brought us the two stallions, Master of My Fate and our new stallion this year, Eric the Red. So I think that's that's the family that we are most known
0: for. And, and I'm not going to be forgiven by Nick Craven if I don't mention that both Give Me the Green Light and Master of My Fate are in the Stallion book and the Weatherby's Global Stallions app. So I'm, I'm going to make one man very happy um, by, by saying that. I, I wanted to ask a little bit, Susan, about the, the overall health of South African racing. And one of the interesting points about this strand since we've been doing it in the middle of 2020 is just sort of seeing really how all the nations around the world are kind of picking their way through the pandemic and what their hopes are for the immediate future
4: well you're right you're right there I've yes we we desperately need the stakes money to get back up again it's currently running at about half previous pre-covid levels and uh, the other thing was one of the uh, three race course operators uh, went into business rescue and that's in the process of being taken over Uh, by new investors and and a new operation. So it's a bit in limbo at the moment. And we hope that um, once these various uncertainties around this business rescue of the one operator come out of it, we can get going again and um, put some more positivity into the stakes money, which will, as you know, trickle down to everybody
0: and you've you've been chair of the South African Thoroughbred Breeders Association, and you, you're chair of the the National Horse Racing Authority. You are you are incredibly busy, an awful lot on your plate. Are you able to be optimistic, Susan? You sound, by nature, as though you're glass half full.
4: Yeah, I am. Op- I am optimistic. I think the South African industry has got the most wonderful people involved in it, and the most um, resolute and and uh, tough. It, we've just had. Um, Uh, the national two-year-old sale in August and I think uh, and and that was actually quite very strong so you know you got the enthusiasm of owners and and that would that was a very necessary pick-me-up for for breeders so I think there's a lot of um willingness and and good thought in it and and we have got our wonderful you know support from overseas um just before the pandemic we South Africa hosted the um, Asian Racing Conference and you know people came from all over the world to attend that and i mean it's really brought it home that um, we're part of that and the um Asian Racing Federation have, has been incredibly supportive and and the Hong Kong Jockey Club um so we feel part of it and and we'd love to you know, i think with that support we, we can get through it
0: all right thanks to Susan to Nahiro to Johnny Murter at the beginning of the program and of course to Maddie Playle who has a tip for you
1: my tip then, at Nick, is going to be a day in Asia in the 3.30 at Gubb with the Phillies Nursery. Uh, Tom Marquand and Harry Dunlop teaming up. This uh, Philly was seventh in the super sprint behind Gubbas. She won a novice at Linkfield and then last time out at Leicester won a nursery. Um, only by a neck, which is why she's only gone up in the weights by the amount she has. But I think this Philly's attitude is fantastic and I really think this track will suit as well.
0: Alright, Maddie, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.